Hello and welcome to the Gladstones Land podcast, brought to you by the National Trust for Scotland. Episode 2, A Day in the Life of Gladstones Land. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Gladstones Land podcast. My name's Thomas Ware and will be joined a little later on by my co-host Kate Stevenson. Last week we had an introduction episode, a short introduction to the city of Edinburgh and the the Gladstones Land property, and we had an interview with our our, our, our boss, our visitor services manager, Anna Brierton. This week we thought it would be quite interesting to give you a an idea of how an average day at the National Trust property works. So we'll be following around one of our uh, employees, Holly, uh, right from the uh, opening up of the building in the morning, going through the day, talking to various people, and uh, we'll see what she gets up to. I hope you enjoy it. I'm standing here uh, on a cold Edinburgh morning uh, right outside the back door of Gladstone's Land uh, in the middle of Lady Stairs Close and I'm here with Holly Black. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so uh, we're here. It's nine o'clock. Okay, so let's, let's go in. Right, if I can find the right key, I'll let us in. That one. Oh, here we are. So, and we're now standing in the the staff room. The yep, just the basement. We've got the staff room and the stock room and the cellar down here. And this is the part of the building that used to be a tavern. Part of right? a tavern, yeah. Part of the Rabbi Burns Tavern next door. And when Thomas Gladstone rented the property, one of his tenants ran a tavern out of the basement as well. So from uh 1630 all the way through to when the trust took it over we think it yep. was a, a certainly bar. so what else are we, you we, this is the staff room we've got stock and that sort of thing down here yeah well. lots of shop stuff down here let's uh let's go up into the main body of the building. all right and we're now emerging from, so here we are we've just emerged from the uh the staff room uh, up into the main body of the shop we're selling all sorts of things. Can you give us an idea of all the, the various different items we've got on sale? Oh, lots of local suppliers and uh, British suppliers. Lots of trust-exclusive things as well. We've got trust-exclusive tartans. It's, it's all very exciting. And there's a lot to do with Outlander. Can you? Lots of Outlander, yes. Uh, there are a couple of Outlander filming locations on the mile. So you find lots of people come to Edinburgh for Outlander. But yeah. Outlander was very good for the, the tourist industry, I think. Right, what's next? We need to finish unlocking all the doors and put some lights on. Gladstone's Land stands about halfway between St Giles and Edinburgh Castle, or one of the busiest spots on the Royal Mile. It is open to the public almost every day of the year. On ground level, there are several small rooms making up the shop, and above that are two floors of historic house. This means that from open until close, there are a steady stream of visitors who come in to have a look at the shop or book onto one of the tours, which run every hour. Talk us through some of the things that you get up to. Well, every day is different here. Um, sometimes I'll take some tours, other times it's mostly, mostly front of house, mostly shop. Um, I rearranged the stockroom the other day and just 
whatever needs to be done. We've got some sanding going on upstairs today to mm -hmm. f refinish one of the floors. You'll need to dust the collections sometimes. Just the collections? Needs to be done. What do you mean? So the museum and all of the collections in there, all of the furniture, all of the all of the pottery, all of the, the porcelain, all of the different things up there. We sometimes get different things out. Uh, we've got some working collections as well that we sometimes use for events. So we've got a nice tea set that we sometimes bring out. During what? the summer, so on season there could be up to seven tours, mm. but off season, where we are now, there will probably be four or five in a day. It gets dark very early, so we can't do tours too late because you can't see anything. Oh, because there's only really natural light in the yes. in the in the in the property. Yeah, we need to look after the ceilings, so we can't have very bright electric lights up there. The tours are run in large part by a small army of dedicated volunteers who take groups of tourists around the parts of the building laid out mostly as the apartment of Sir James Crichton of Fendroft an Aberdeenshire landowner who lived here with his wife, Lady Elizabeth Crichton, in the 1630s. Many of the guides have been here for many years and are incredibly knowledgeable about the house and Edinburgh's history. Each guide has different interests, and so each tour is different. Here is the lovely Evelyn, who takes the tours on Thursday mornings. Now, the rather special feature of this room, of course, is the painted ceiling. And I've known this ceiling for quite a long time. I've looked at it and just thought, goodness, it's amazing and wonderful that we can see this today. And I've looked up there at the, the fruits and the flowers that you can see, and I've often thought, not many people will have seen a bunch of grapes in 1620, unless you were very wealthy and had a hot house or something. And the whole thing is really quite a wonder, and in such good condition. Now, I think we're ready to go to the kitchen now. Please mind your head, <laughs> Lord Derby. And you can see it's getting darker as we go into the building. As well as tour guiding, the volunteers also help to run the shop and provide a friendly welcome for visitors to Gladstone's land. That there is Orlando. He is my favourite owl because he doesn't sell. <laughs> no, my favourite, of course, though, the Highland Cows. I think it's well known that I like the Highland Cows here. So we're standing here in the, the shop, the front of the, the downstairs of Gladstone's Land. What can you, what can you tell me about it? Uh, the shop is either really busy or absolutely dead. There's no in-between in the shop. What are the most popular things to buy? Baubles. Baubles. They're one pound right now, so everybody's buying those, I'd say. The wooden highland cows are very popular. Yes, the wooden highland cows. Hi guys. Hi. Hi. Excuse me, I'll take the magnet. Maybe I like doing that, Sorry. but you know what? I didn't care. Would you like to carry your bag for those things? Well, no, I'll take one, thanks. Oh, that's 12 then, please. I'll send it to the festive highland cow. <laughs> I'm afraid there's not, no. no. You, should, you, should, you should do one. Yeah, we should. Put a Santa hat on that one. Thanks. <laughs> a 
about to say, don't record me locking that door. It's embarrassing how difficult it is. Okay. Got it. Just go through here. And you have a particular name for this route, is that right? Yes, this is the grocers. Um, this, we think, in the 1620s, was rented by a man called John Riddick, who ran it as a grocer shop. So we have, again, followed on from that, we've got all the food in here. Take us through the food. What have we got? Well, we've got lots of Christmas chocolates. We've got some whiskey coffee. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got some other chocolates, again, made in Scotland. These ones are made in Aberdeen. We've got another range that are made in Edinburgh. We've got some handmade Scottish shortbread from the shores of Loch Lomond. The Possibly the best in the world, but you'll have to try it for yourself. Lots of mugs, cookbooks as well. We think the front two rooms were used as luckin' booths, so locked shops, and they would have run business out, businesses out of here. So we've got the stable doors, the top half opens independently of the bottom half and the shopkeeper would just stand there you would tell him what you wanted and he would go in and get it for you so we've got some we've got some jars of herbs and spices in here as well to give you an idea of what would have been sold here we've got a big jar of pepper there I'm up now on the external staircase of the um, of the building. I can see St Giles and all the way down to the sea. Actually, oh, that's rather lovely. And um, uh, and we're just now going up into 483 Lawn Market, the main body of the building, to see who we can find up here. Now, I think that noise you can hear is Kate, my co-presenter, who is um, sanding some furniture in one of the upper rooms. Let's go and find out about that. Ah, here she is. Hello. Gonna turn that off. So what on earth is going on in here? Oh, hey. Um, so we are sanding down the floor. Um, we used to have some 70s carpet tiles in here um, and they've all come up uh, and now we're sanding back the floor getting rid of all the old carpet glue um, with the idea that it's going to be refinished um, in the next couple of weeks. Because this is the part of the building that's normally used as a sort of a s introduction to the tour, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the second floor we're on at the moment. And this is usually where we start the tours off. We give a bit of an introduction to the house and um, Edinburgh in the 17th century. Uh, so the plan is uh, that we're getting this room. This room is always been not, not quite as exciting as some of the rest of the house. Um, so we're doing some work on this to try and sort of bring it up to the same standard as the rest of the house um, and eventually it's going to be a little museum and we're going to have some interpretation in here and a timeline of the house. Okay, so we're now sitting here in the, uh, in the, the gorgeous staff area uh, on our, 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 our sofas um, uh, enjoying a cup of tea and we've got a plate for biscuits here as well. Um, and we're we're sitting with Holly. So, well, about first, I think just a bit of background about sort of working for the trust and how long how long you've worked here. 
um, and what your favourite parts of the job are. Um, I've worked here for two and a half years and before that I volunteered at another National Trust property for another two years. Where was that? That was down at the Georgian House. Oh, right. Okay. So just over the other side of Edinburgh, it's our sort of counterpart um, with the National Trust. Uh, We are luxury tenement living in the 17th century, and then the Georgian House is uh, the sort of the other side of that. It's the new town luxury living. And are you from Edinburgh? I'm not. I'm from Pennycook originally, so just outside Edinburgh. So I, I know that Thomas has been following you around a little bit today, but yes. what, what sort of things does does the job involve? And um, yeah, what are your favourite bits? It involves everything. <laughs> I was doing arts and crafts yesterday. I've been doing some banking today and um, I've got a tour in a little while as well. So lots of different, lots of different things, all enjoyable in their own way. <laughs> Sometimes a little bit stressful. What originally got you to, interested in the National Trust? Uh, well, I visited a property um, up in the Highlands and the room guides were just so enthusiastic. I just thought, I want to do that. So I, I found a property, started volunteering as a guide, got into the property assistant side of things and then stuck at that for a while and came over here when I started, when I started college. What did you study at college? I studied costume for stage and screen. Uh, do you use any of those skills here in the with the trust? <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Um, I used my sewing skills to sew up one of the cushions we are sitting on just now. <laughs> Afterwards, <laughs> that was that was fun. Um, yeah, occasionally, we've got some costumes upstairs. Need some um, attention. That needs some attention, yeah. We do do. Um, and as part of it, I did have to study the history of costume as well, so that always comes in handy. So Holly has an absolutely beautiful 17th century Dublin breeches, um, which she wore on Halloween when the rest of us all dressed up in 17th century costume as well. I do, Absolutely yes. gorgeous. <laughs> did you make it yourself? I made it myself, yes. That's amazing. How did you first come to like history or Uh, (laughs) I think I've always liked history I never actually took history at school Um, I dropped history as soon as I possibly could because I didn't think the teachers liked me Um, but no I've never studied history just always been interested in it I suppose when you study history particularly in school particularly in Britain you you mainly do from what I gather you do an awful lot of Bismarck and then lots of 20th century study history after the third year at school either really uh, yeah which is a little bit weird now that i have a phd in history but no i uh, i didn't do it at gcse that. or a level either no no i stopped in second year uh we were just studying scarabray mostly um, oh, but Scarabray is fascinating. I know, but after two years of studying <laughs> That's Bray, enough. it starts to get old. <laughs> I mean, it's already pretty it's old. It's already quite old. <laughs> it's one of my uh, classic uh, bad jokes. Um, <laughs> There'll I mean, be more of those. I guess I'm it's, not so sure. It's one of these... Um, I think that that's one of the really odd things about history and the way it's taught in school as opposed to how it is in the rest of society is that actually it's one of the things that most people really find very interesting it's if you think of well we were talking earlier about outlander 
yes. for instance, like yeah. in pop culture and in things that people read and watch, uh, there's a lot of historical settings and people are always going on holiday to see historical sites and yeah. whatever, but, ac- but actually that doesn't really translate into school subjects because a lot of people will say that history was was their least favorite subject at school yeah i'm sure if i stuck with it it would have gotten more interesting more trips and more hands-on experience but yeah from my experience when i was at school it wasn't i think it's quite rigidly structured at school isn't it so yeah now it gives you much more opportunity to explore the things you like rather than the things that the curriculum says you have to learn I suppose that's the difference, isn't it? I had a lecturer who said that um, he, when we came in, I think it was the beginning of second year, medieval Europe course, that was it. And he said, you know, up until this point, you've been told that history was uniformed men marching across Europe. <laughs> and, you know, it's so much more than that. Yeah. And um, that's why this sort of place is so great, because you can really see that actually it's not something... Um, re- removed. It's not mm. just World War One and World War Two and the Treaty yeah. of Versailles. It's um, it's how so people lived, and it's our it's our heritage. Yeah, yeah, the social history, and I think for me that's the thing that certainly interests me most. And, and again, you're mm. absolutely right. It's what we get from this house is the the social history, and and I, I like the way that the social history ties into all of the art history. I mean, particularly costume, you know mm-hmm. all about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the way it ties into into costume, into architecture, into art as well. I studied all of the arty subjects at school. So. <laughs> Where my background lies. Um, but yeah, it's just the way it all ties in and influences everything. Kate said you're one of the people who's worked here or volunteered here the longest. Yes, of of everybody that's here at the moment, yeah. Um, I th- Anna has been here most of the time that I've been here, but she volunteered before that as well. But I started working part-time, so I was only here a couple of days a week for two years. And then when I left college, I started um, being here full-time. So I think that might have something to do with it. But... Um, yeah, no, I've just, I just really like it here. What do you like <laughs> about the National Trust, or the National Trust for Scotland, I should say? Well, I, I like what they're doing. I think it's really important for them to be doing what they're doing. I like um, that they're, they're protecting all of these buildings. They're protecting all of this history. You can still go and see all of this history because there are so many places that you want to know more about them. You pass by buildings and you go, what is that? What is the history of that building? How old is that? And it hasn't been protected. It's just been left ruined. So it's nice to actually have these buildings that have been kept and have been restored or conserved so you can actually see what their, their history is and find out about them. Because I always find myself looking at buildings thinking, I wonder how old that is. I want to know more about that, but how did I find that out? And sometimes there just aren't people who know about it. It's so fascinating. I found this um, a few years ago. I was running a tour about Art Nouveau, and I wanted to take people out. It was York, actually. I wanted to take people out in York and go and find examples of Art Nouveau. And you start to look up, because you're looking for examples. And suddenly you see these incredible things that you've walked past for two years and never noticed, and these windows and these dates and these amazing roofs and and wonderful sort of details that you, you just 
don't notice. And I think it's really interesting to go to a new city and, and just look up and see all those exciting buildings. Yeah. I think I heard a baby crying upstairs. <laughs> so <laughs> we better let Holly get back to her um, uh, her very important post. But before <laughs> you go, we have one, one question that's going to be an extremely important question yeah. mm-hmm. um, that we're asking all of our, our guests. If you could meet or spend a day with uh, any historical figure, uh, who who would it be? Oh, I have thought about this a lot. There are <laughs> so many that I would like to meet, um, for different reasons as well. Like okay. I'd love to, I'd love to meet Jack the Ripper just to find out who he is. Oh. But there are just, <laughs> but only in very safe circumstances. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, but even even just you know in his day to day life. Just yeah, meet him just randomly, um, just to find out about him. Um, I, I've always been interested in 18th century history, particularly. And I was reading the other day about Mary Reed and Anne Bonny. And I would love to meet Mary Reed. She actually, at least I think it was her and not Anne Bonny. Yes, it was, was an Anne Bonny a pirate? They were both pirates. Okay. They served on the same crew and they were both brought up dressed as boys. They were both disguised as boys in their childhoods. One of them actually, again, I'm pretty sure it's Mary Reed, I will check. Um, but she joined the army as a man and fell in love in the army, married. But they found out she was a woman, but they were... They were her friends. They were fine with it. So they, she married this um, man in her regiment. And then they moved While they to, were both still soldiers. While she they had were to both still the soldiers. They left afterwards. But um, after he died, she tried to join the army again. It never really worked. She went to the Caribbean and she became a pirate. And again, Anne Bonny as well. She... She was dressed as a boy to save her father from some scandal. And again, in her later life, went on to dress as a man and become a pirate. So I think that's great. Have you come across Flora Sands, who um, she went and fought for the Serbian army? Um, I I think it's early 20th century I'd have to go and check but she's fantastic she's incredibly she she rose through the ranks um, very decorated um, fascinating woman Um, when you look at photos of her she she basically just wears masculine dress and and she's a phenomenal um, character well it sounds like we're we're building up a pretty (laughs) good (laughs) catalogue of uh, a a rather a raucous dinner party yes indeed more on that uh, in future episodes so uh well, do you have unless you have anything else that you'd like to like to say? Um, Casanova was very interested in food. I think he'd be good at a dinner party. I know, <laughs> but he'd definitely seduce someone, uh, and you know that would end badly. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for coming to talk to us, and we'll probably get you back on a future episode to talk about costumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry to spring that on you, <laughs> on air, but you know. That's how it works. Uh, uh, It's great to chat. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was our interview with Holly. 
Um, that brings us pretty much to the end of today's episode. That's it. Uh, we're just going to have a little chat about um, some frequently asked questions we get. Um, and in the future, we're hoping to develop this bit to get you to email in if you have any questions. And yes, we'll... that's right. We're going to have an email address uh, and and we'd like, uh, for, we'd like for listeners to email in with your questions and your, your questions, comments, concerns... Uh, questions for us mm-hmm. yep. you know anything of that nature uh, anything you'd like to hear on the podcast so in future we will be reading out those and discussing them at great length but today as we haven't got any emails uh, we're just going to be um, doing something else instead uh, so we get uh, a lot of the same questions uh, asked particularly people coming into the shop um, and a, lo- a lot of um, sort of generic questions about where to find things but one of the things that crops up a lot um, is what else to see in Edinburgh so you've got your National Trust membership you can come and see Gladstone's land um, the Georgian house is this, this is obviously after you've been uh, to see ob- Gladstone's obviously land, right? Gladstone's land first um, and we've got the Georgian house over in Newtown as well our sort of sister property uh, and then we've got other great National Trust properties around Edinburgh, like New Hales. Uh, but beyond the National Trust, uh, there is a wealth of things to do in Edinburgh. What's what's your favourite? My favourite, I always describe this as a bit of a hidden gem. Mm-hmm. I like to go to the roof garden on top of the uh, National Museum. Um, this is the National Museum of Scotland on Chambers Street, uh, which has a it's a sort of new extension to it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's always been there as long as I've lived in Edinburgh. It looks it's, it's new compared to the um, the other bit, which is old. And uh, and on the top they have this roof garden from which you have the best panoramic view of the whole city. So you look down on Greyfriars Kirk, uh, Bedlam Theatre, uh, the McEwen Hall, and then you can see the castle and all the Royal Mile and beyond that the sea. Uh, and I say it's a hidden gem because it's quite—it's actually quite hard to find. If you, I have been to the National Museum of Scotland dozens of times and have never been to the roof garden. So if you were to wander into, yeah, as you say, if you wander in, it, it's not very well advertised. So um, I would definitely recommend that for anybody who's coming to and visit Edinburgh. Actually, the museum itself is wonderful. Uh, it's uh, got some incredible—it's it's free. It's got some great exhibitions. Um, there's a lovely bit up on the top floor about furniture and design in Scotland um, and actually the building, the old part of the building itself is absolutely stunning The um, Yes, the old bit is effectively the science bit isn't it? There's the, it sort of has what would be the Natural History Museum and the Science Museum It's also got all a fashion, into one. fashion gallery and yeah, design so there is, it, yeah, there's all sorts yeah. of bits going on in and there. Then, <laughs> and then the new bit is the history bit mm-hmm. and it's actually, I've always said it's one of the best museum displays of of the history of a of a kingdom or city that I've ever seen actually you have sort of roman and ancient edinburgh on the ground floor and each floor above that is is a different period and so you've got some excellent excellent medieval stuff and then above that your renaissance and early modern bits and pieces they've got a um, a darien scheme object do they which is very interesting because obviously at gladstone's land <laughs> we also have one of those uh, a darien scheme object um in in the national museum they've got the chest in which the scotland's money was put oh goodness um, all the money that they lost. All the money that was lost in this great colonial expedition. That that's in uh, in the land. And there's the Jacobites above mm-hmm. that, which are really good. I saw some brilliant um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Not recreation, reenactment um, about the Jacobites at the National Museum as well. They have a lot of a lot of events, and um, there were some wonderful reenactors there last time I was. I there. think we definitely need to talk about the Jacobites at a later date mm-hmm. because yes, we do need to come back to them. I mean, apart from anything else, they are one of the great. Um, I would say national myths in Scotland. <laughs> it's something that everybody is. That it, the Jacobitism seems to influence everything around it in that time, and it shapes so many different people's impressions mm. of identity today. But it's also too. a very confusing part of Scottish history, and I have to confess that there's a lot going on in sort of Scottish um, politics and religion and. Um, in, in, in a wider sense, so it's also quite nice to have an idea of timelines and how it all fits into the wider wider so history. We will revisit that. Um, mm-hmm. So we've done the National Museum. What pretty, else? Pretty what thoroughly. Else? I'm going to have a little bit of Swiss roll. <laughs> While Kate tells you about her favourite oh, site. So I'm still working my way around places at the moment. So oh. I've I've only lived this in Edinburgh. Quite old. Is, is it? Oh, <laughs> is it disappointing? Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> you don't have to eat it. No, I do. I've started eating it. I'm <laughs> determined. Uh, so I've actually only been in Edinburgh a couple of months. Uh, so I'm still working my way around the tourist attractions. I'm trying to think what my favourite is so far. So I went up to the castle last week. That's probably a must do. Uh, it's the prisons were fascinating. Uh, so they had a huge, um, a huge number of French prisoners for a while, um, and then they've got more modern prisons, nineteenth-century prisons as well. So I got really into the prisons, mm. um, and the war memorial is absolutely stunning as well. Uh, it's a huge um, sort of part. It's a huge artifact, really, a huge building. Um, this is the war memorial that's inside, inside the castle. Because the, yeah. the castle is, among many other things, a functioning um, British Army barracks. And they have... Um, it's Scotland's national um, First World War memorial. Mm-hmm. And there. it's there's a huge number of buildings up there. So I don't think I saw everything while I was up there. But um, there's a number of military museums and things like that. And um, the Scottish Crown Jewels as well, which have a wonderful story attached to them. In that Walter Scott rediscovered them in a cellar. Uh, so that's that's an interesting um, place to go, and obviously a, a big tourist attraction. I'm trying to think of sort of some of the smaller museums. Oh, I went to the Edinburgh Museum, um, and that is actually really lovely little museum. I don't think I've ever been. Is that opposite the Cannon Gate? Uh, yeah, Cannon it's, Gate da- it's down on the Cannon Gate, um, and it's opposite the People's Museum, which I haven't been to mm. yet because apparently there's a lot of mannequins, and I really don't like mannequins. Uh, so I'm building up to that one. But the the Edinburgh Museum was lovely. It's got a painted ceiling in it, um, not too dissimilar in date mm. from ours, which is, was moved from a, another house to save it. Um, it's got it's a real sort of hodgepodge of things to do with Edinburgh. Um, they've got some wooden water pipes, which were early pipes that were put in. Um, they've got a whole exhibition on the suffragettes, the Scottish suffragettes. Uh, so it is really, it's very eclectic, but it, is, it gives you a real sense of more of the social history of Scotland and what's going on no, there. Um, so I really enjoyed that as a visit. I think this is, it, it's going to sound a, a sort of, I don't know, a naff thing to say, but actually I always think that the best thing to do in in any city and particularly in Edinburgh in Edinburgh is to walk about. Yes, of um, course. That you the the best thing about 
Edinburgh is that it's the way, the way that the city is laid out is that its historical periods are zoned, aren't they? So mm-hmm. the centre of Edinburgh, the Royal Mile and the Old Town is all of generally of a particular age. And then you cross the cross the valley to the new town and then that's all a particular age as uh-huh. well. And you can just you walk around, you can really see the different periods um, of Edinburgh's development. Um, and it's really nice to compare sort of the winding closes of the old town and it's, it's very it's very built up everything's is is very close to each other it, it's a, it's a really small space and then you go over to the sort of the grandeur of the new town uh, and you can see sort of the streets are much wider the architecture is much bigger and and there's all the classical influences so it, it's a really nice Comparison. I have thought of one other place that oh, we yeah. should probably flag up. What's that? Uh, so we are at Gladstone's Land. We're sort of a, a luxury tenement building. We've mentioned this before, but in direct contrast to what we do, there is Mary King's Close, Ooh. just a little bit further down the mile. Um, they are. They also run on tours. Um, and it's um, an exploration of streets that have basically been covered over the top of. Um, and whilst we're, we talk about sort of the wealthy tenants, they talk about the much poorer tenants that lived in those houses. It's also incredibly, it's a bit more theatrical, but it's incredibly atmospheric down there um, because these are, it, it, there's a real sense of sort of forgotten spaces and there's some great ghost stories attached to it as well. I've never done Mary King's Close, but uh, I used to work for Mercat Tours, mm-hmm. which do a similar sort of thing. Mer- I think Mary King's Close are, are in costume, aren't they? They are, yeah, it's costumed Mercat, guides. Mercat um, Tours and I is, think is not costumed, uh, but a similar, as you say, ghost stories and mm-hmm. some of the more gr- grimy, yes, grisly the... history, uh, which is all great. And so they're definitely worth doing, either of those yeah, things. Yeah, very enjoyable. Um, Right, and so that's uh, that's all we've got time for today. Um, that, so that's... so that's goodbye from us, and do tune in next time for uh, more insights into the National Trust and into Gladstone's land. Right. Thanks a lot for listening. Well, there you have it, a day in the life of Gladstone's land. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We've got a couple of things to just to clear up from last week's episode. Firstly, uh, you'll remember that I mentioned the story of Pope Pius II, or Aeneas Silvius Piccolomini. Um, The first thing I want to clear up is the title and some other details of his erotic novel, uh, you'll recall that Pope Pius II is supposed to be the only pope to have written an erotic novel. This novel was The Tale of Two Lovers, or in the original Latin, Historia de Duobus Amantibus, written in 1444, and was one of the best-selling books of the 15th century. Um, this was written before he was pope, uh, and the first printed edition was published by Ulrich Zell in Cologne between 1467 and 1470. So there you are, the tale of two lovers um, for all you uh, uh, Renaissance erotic novel fans out there. The second point was that I think I said that he is the only pope to visit Scotland. That's not actually true in as many words. Uh, He was the only medieval pope Uh, to have visited Scotland. Um, But, of course, there have been two papal visits in recent years. Pope John Paul II came in 1982 
and Pope Benedict the Sixteenth in two thousand and fourteen. So there you have it. Not the first, not the only pope to visit Scotland, but the only medieval pope to visit Scotland. So there you have it. Uh, if you have anything else that you'd like us to to talk about, uh, if you have any comments about this episode or the previous episode or or anything like that, then I encourage you to get in touch either by email. Uh, you can email gladstonesland at nts.org.uk and include podcast in your, uh, your, your email. That'll get to us, and you can also find Gladstones Land on all the social media platforms. And do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And I think that's it. All that remains is to wind up. So, you've been listening to the Gladstones Land podcast with me, Thomas Ware, and my co-host, Kate Stevenson. It was produced by me with support from the National Trust for Scotland. Our guest this week was Holly Black, and you heard clips from various other staff and volunteers in Gladstone's land. Our music was Stabile's Apollinaris Inclicti, performed by the Tudor Consort and licensed under Creative Commons. You can find Gladstone's land on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and online at www.nts.org.uk slash gladstones land. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time.